And, and if kids can come together and sing over uh, Zoom and put together something like that, uh, can you see beauty, godly beauty in the world around us? So can you imagine for just a moment what worship will look like in heaven? If this is what we can see and experience here on, on earth. A lot of times we go to, you know, think about something, we think about expectations of what we want to experience, and there's been some things I was so excited to see, and when I got there, I was like, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. I'm thinking of a a cavern I went to when I was a kid, and I thought, boy, this is going to be like, you know, Carlsbad, or like, uh, with all these gemstones, and then stalagmites and everything, and we get there, and it's just, basically, Central Texas is just a kind of a hole in the ground, you know? Just a, rock, a hole carved out by, by a river underground. It's just a rock. And I remember thinking, this isn't what I thought it would be. Sometimes we, we wonder, is there something more and greater than what we're experiencing now, or is this all there is? I'm here to tell you this morning, there is an ultimate reality that we're going to experience. Some people, as they go through the scriptures, they come across Revelation. They think, boy, this, everything looks great until you get to Revelation, and it looks kind of like science fiction. And I'm going to tell you all, that's not the way it is. Actually, Revelation was, was written in a particular style to try to communicate something that is very real and that, is, that we, we ourselves are going to experience. It is ultimate reality, what we see here in Revelation. It's just that it's so wonderful that it's impossible to put into words. And so symbols are used to communicate the idea. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 this morning. After this, this is after the letters to the seven churches have been written, have been shared, and then uh, they're going out. Now then, uh, after this, I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. After what? After the church things happen. After these situations we talked about with the churches, after all that unfolds, then something else is going to happen. And I'm going to show you what's going to take place then. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. I want to stop for a second, because there was something I wanted to do that I need desperately to do. And that is to say a prayer that God will be with us as we engage with this text, all right? So let's pray. God, as we approach this passage, show us what you want us to see. Give me the words to speak, Lord. I desperately need your wisdom and your guidance. In Jesus' name, and I trust you'll be with us. Amen. At once I was in the Spirit, verse uh, 2 or 3 here. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. I hope that you're striving to picture it. Because that's the idea. 
Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they would never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, And by your will, they were created and have their being. The word of God this morning. First of all, uh, I want to say this. Interpretation, and this will go for now and for the rest of our study. Interpretation of a passage like this requires humility. And we've got to, when we study Revelation, look at the forest, not necessarily the trees. Because we are children in, my, in our minds compared to, I mean, not even children. We are compared to the Almighty. What are our feeble minds? To sit here, and I think the whole point of this is how can we ex- describe the Almighty? So we got to be cautious and humble and try to discern what is God wanting us to know here? And he tries to put it in words that are symbolic, that give us a picture, give us an idea of what he's trying to say, so that as people who have never been there and have really so, uh, so little knowledge about what it might look like, that we're able to catch a glimmer, catch a glimpse of what this is. And so we read this and we recognize that. We recognize that this is meant to give us a picture, a sense of what is going on here. Just a few things of interpretation along the way that I would share. Uh, First of all, there are some different things we see here that I want to point out. Um, The the first thing we recognize here in this passage, the most important, I think, and really the main point is, is that there is something in the center here of John's experience. And what is it? It's the throne. And there is someone sitting on the throne. And it's important that you recognize that. But, but it's not just a throne. There are things around the throne, a rainbow surrounding it. The, the rainbow, I mean, I can draw conclusions here, and it, it just adds depth to our experience here. But I want to just say, I'm saying this with humility. The rainbow has always been a picture of God's covenant keeping, hadn't it? About his, his promises. 
And there were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders dressed in white and crowns of gold on, your, on their head. You remember what Jesus told the Laodiceans to buy from him? Buy white clothes. You remember that? And then they would receive a crown if they persevered to the end. And here now we see uh, these folks, these elders sitting on the thrones. And the common um, message here is that these are the redeemed people of God sitting on the throne. They have been purified and they are, they are sitting down on the thrones, which is significant and important. When you see in the, in the text, someone sitting down, that means the work has been done. Now they are resting. When Jesus sits down, that means he has completed his work. Now these elders are seated on thrones. The work is complete. They have entered into a reigning rest. From the throne came flashes of lightning. What does this communicate to you? Power. Rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. It's interesting. There are so many parallels from the earthly temple that was built and now the heavenly dwelling of God. You had the Holy of Holies in that building. Now you have the throne of God. You had the seven-branched candlestick sitting in that area. And now you have seven lamps that are blazing. You had this bronze laver, and now you have a sea of glass. You had cherubim sitting around the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And now you have living creatures, these cherubim, surrounding the throne of God. And then you have these altars, and these, this is going to continue to unfold. Seven lamps that are blazing, the seven spirits of God. The idea of the judgment of God coming into the world with the, the blazing fires being the, the torches of, of judgment that God is, is bringing into the world. Do you remember what John the Baptist said? He said, the one who is coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with, you remember, fire. And Peter says God is a consuming fire. The fire is going to consume the world, bringing judgment. And the Christian perseveres. But that fire is the fire of judgment. And the Spirit of God is the one going forth to do this. In front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. The Crystal Sea, I remember us singing about this in the, some of the old hymns that we sang growing up. I remember thinking, Crystal Sea, what, what's this about? And the, the sea, there, there's something important you need to know about this sea, what it communicates. It communicates separation. There is a sea that separates us from the Almighty. We, we are not able to approach Him, okay? Can you go into the White House knock on the door and say, I'd like to speak with President Trump. How's that going to work for you? I went to Windsor Castle in, in England several years ago. We got to take a tour of all the different rooms. But what if I wanted to see the queen? Could I go over to the living quarters and say, hey, where's the queen? I want to talk to Bessie. Where's she at? That's not going to work out too well, is it? There's a, there's a, there's a distance. There's a separation between me and the figure of authority. 
And if that's true for people of this world and authority in this world, can you imagine the gulf that exists of separation between me and unholy man and the divine creator of the universe? It's a, it's a sparkling crystal sea that separates us. The reason why I'm comfortable with this is because it says later in Revelation, we're going to see things unfold. And in chapter 21, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and there was no more sea. So it's something we have to look forward to. Maybe there's a separation for now, but it's not necessarily going to be there eternally. In the center around the throne, there were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes front and back. When you see eyes, don't be weirded out by something with eyes all over it. It communicates all-knowing, all-seeing. These creatures can see everything. Uh, they are like a lion, like an ox, like the face of a man, and like a flying eagle. Think about these creatures. The lion, the, the supreme beast of the land, you know? The ox, the, the one we depended on for work, for productivity, the, the face of the man, the, the, the rational mind on planet Earth, and then finally the eagle, the most majestic of all flying creatures. This communicates the apex, the, the supreme of all creation. All the greatest of creation in the form of these creatures is doing what in the presence of God? Saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Even the best and greatest of the creation turns to God and said, you are different than us. Holy, holy, holy. He is holy. It doesn't just mean set apart. It doesn't mean different necessarily. It doesn't mean pure. It's something much deeper and greater than even those things, which it includes. God is holy, holy, and He is beyond our description. He is holy. That's why they repeat it three times. Day and night they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In Ezekiel and in Isaiah there are passages that shed light on these living creatures, these what I believe are cherubim. Uh, we'll stop there to draw some conclusions. First of all, some, some things I think we should take away from this reading, which can be a little bit challenging for us. Knowing the future, that's what we sometimes bring to a study of Revelation. We say, I want to know what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And knowing the future, I think, is less about obtaining information about everything that's going to happen and it's more about understanding God and knowing the fact that he holds the future in his hands. A, a short way I've heard it said is it's life is not about knowing the future but knowing who holds the future. All right? It's about an encounter. The future is about an encounter we have with God. It's not about a set of things that we learn about what's going to happen. It's about a, a blunt encounter we have with this incredible creator. After God's people are delivered from Egypt and taken out, taken out into the wilderness in Exodus chapter 19, the people cry to Moses, I'm quoting now, 
We cannot approach this God and live. You stand in God's place for us. You represent us to God, for we do not dare come close, any closer to Him. It came to pass on the third day in the morning there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Does this sound familiar? This is God's presence on Sinai, and the people are saying, we dare not come any closer to Him. Moses, you go on our behalf. This is the same encounter that John is having here with God. There is a crystal sea, and on the other side of that sea of separation, a throne with power, with all the greatest of creation, crying out to this God, holy, holy, holy. I don't know about you, but if I'm in John's place, I need somebody to go talk to that God for me. Are you with me? Fortunately, that opportunity will unfold, and I think you guys kind of understand where that's heading we do have somebody going in our place to go talk to him the new moses jesus christ our messiah god is the transcendent god and we learn from this passage if you don't learn anything you better see and learn god is a god to be feared amen he is to be feared why the New Testament writer Hebrew says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Scripture says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it all begins. So we need to recognize that from this passage to learn, this is a powerful God we serve. Spend a moment in this presence. It changes your experience here. It ought to change our experience here. It ought to change us from the inside out to ponder this ultimate reality. So sad that people think this is the ultimate reality and try to make the most of this or live, eat, and drink for tomorrow we die, this is it. We catch a glimpse of what is ahead, an interaction with this almighty being who is all-powerful, and it ought to shape us here and now. So that's the first thing we want to conclude from this passage this morning. Knowing the future is not all about knowing little facts and details of how things are unfold. Sometimes it's enough to know who God is and say, He is my God and I trust. This is the study of Job, by the way. We don't need to, we ask why, we ask what's going on here, but at the end of the day, what's the answer? God is God. He's holy, holy, holy. It's a perspective-setting experience. Number two, he is so powerful, which this ties in with the first. He is so powerful that the greatest, the greatest of all created beings, which we would look up in envy and, and desire to be more like, they themselves are the ones crying out, holy, holy, holy. And the redeemed church, the redeemed, and, and we'll set that aside and just stick with what the text says, the elders sitting on these thrones, look to him. People sitting on thrones don't like, generally here in the world, to give credit to people other than themselves, do they? That's the whole point of being a king, right? You're the authority. You're in charge, you know? That's why there were so many wars in British history. You know, the people would get on the throne and other people want to take them out because they want to get on the throne. And you don't sit on the throne and say to other people, you're greater than me. 
you draw attention to yourself as the greatest. Meanwhile, here in the ultimate reality, the elders sitting on the throne are looking to God on the throne and doing what with their crowns? Taking their crowns off, casting them at the feet of this God because they recognize who is worthy to rule? Who is worthy of all of our praise? Certainly not ourselves. You. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. By your will they were created and have their being. I'm fascinated, intrigued by the universe. And I like to watch documentaries about the universe and how, it, how it's expanding and everything. And, and to hear uh, the, the secular scientists say, we are trying to figure out how this started. You know, what started it? To sit here and think, by the will of God, all this started. He is the creator and he is powerful. Our tendency to worship. I want you to think about this. I'm going to read an excerpt here from another preacher. Look at celebrities. The real history of kings and queens is a terrible history. It's a history of tyranny and slavery. Yet any country that still has a king or queen is absolutely obsessed with the glitz of the royal family. Countries that don't have royalty take the super beautiful, the super athletic, the super rich, even the super criminal, and we turn them into kings and queens. We exalt them. We turn them into celebrities. Why? The Bible says it's because we all need to worship something greater than ourselves. We have to. It's who we are. We were created to worship. That's why the ultimate reality in the heavens is a reality full of worship. That's what we experience. And, and these elders are worshiping the Creator. They are, they are taking their crowns off the throne, recognizing He is worthy. He's the greatest. We will worship Him. But we worship somebody or something. Who are you worshiping this morning? This passage is so relevant for us, and it's challenging. Um, but it gives us the picture. And I hope you got a picture of what God wants us to know. That He is holy and that he is worthy of our worship i want to invite you if you need prayers or support i want you to to come and pray with me this morning we're going to have a song of invitation here as this song is playing if you need help putting god first in your life again making him the object of your worship come up and pray with me this week i want to invite you to let the holiness of god shrink your problems Put your trust in him. Tonight, we're not going to have 7 o'clock study because of Labor Day and everyone. We're going to take one day off from that. We'll resume that next week. But you guys have a blessed week, and this was a blessing for me. I look forward to seeing you all soon. God bless you, and have a great week. We're dismissed.